Hello and welcome to episode 242 of the Mark and Me podcast. As always, I'm your host Mark. Now today's episode is very special. I'm joined by a Hollywood legend, an Oscar winner, an Emmy winner, the absolute genius that is Phil Tippett. You may know him for his visual effects work in stuff like Star Wars, The Empire Strikes Back, some of these incredible scenes with stop motion, Jurassic Park, and the list goes on. This really is someone very special, and I'm so thrilled that he's coming up on today's episode of the Mark and Me podcast. But before we get to that interview, let's touch base and talk about my last episode. On episode 241, I was joined by the film director, John Irvin. We got to talk in loads of detail about working on films like Raw Deal, Hamburger Hill and so much more. So a massive thank you to everyone that tuned in and listened to that interview. The response as always was fantastic. But today it's huge. The brains, the talent, the creativity, all of the incredible brains that goes into this work over his career now is mind-blowing. Anything that's been done with stop motion, computerised character animation... This is the king of his craft and I'm absolutely thrilled and it's still saying it out loud is mind-blowing that I'm joined by Phil Tippett. But I think the best thing to do right now is to get to the interview. So here's me and Phil Tippett talking all things film. Thank you for taking the time to join me today on the podcast. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. Phil, my first question for you today is can you tell me about the first film that you remember as a kid growing up that made you fall in love with film? King Kong. I saw it when I was about six years old. It was on television. And what was it about it that made it kind of that big place in your heart? Was it the fact that it was done all by stop motion and the fact that it looked real to you as a kid? I had no idea what stop motion was. Yeah. You know, um, but it was the spectacle uh, of it all, you know, the, that drew me in and it, King Kong is is definitely you know one of the major you know spectacle monster movies that was ever made, and uh, so you know that that sent me on a path of um, studying dinosaurs. You know, and I I studied dinosaurs, you know, um, voraciously. You know, as I was growing up, and um, then in nineteen fifty. Eight, um, Ray Harryhausen's Seven Forge of Sinbad um, uh, was released, and I nagged my parents, you know, to take me to see it. And what, once the Cyclops comes out of the cave, that was it for me. You know, it was just I was really wowed by it. And I, I had no idea what the what the process was, but I, I do recall, you know, seeing. Um, a, a you know preview or a trailer on television, and I remember telling my parents that you know I really liked the 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 feeling of the movement. You know, it just goes. You know, um, I don't remember you know exactly what I said. I think I did it more as pantomime and moved my hand, um, like in uh, you know the equivalent of no motion blur, just moving my hand, you know, little bits at a time. So I, I intuitively knew something, but I didn't know what. So many, many years 
later. And as a student yourself, I know you're always sculpting and making animations and drawing. Were your family fully supportive of you going down that as a career? Because obviously some parents want you to have like a, a really solid education and a job that might be able to bring in money straight away. And I know obviously going into the film industry, there's risks involved. And sometimes your parents might be like, look, you need to get a real job, son. Or were they creative like you and really supportive from the start? Well, my dad was an artist, so of course he he was you know very supportive. You know, my mom was worried about me because I was into monsters, and she you know wanted uh, to consult a, a psychiatrist. <laughs> but my dad, <laughs> you know, didn't allow that. And you know, we get together with um, the aunts and uncles, you know, for for Christmas. And um, uh, one uncle who's an insurance salesman, you know, asked me what I wanted to do. And I said, I want to be a stop motion animator like Ray Harryhausen. And he asked, well, how many jobs are there out there? And he said, well, there's just one guy doing it. And he goes like, well, is that a good idea, Philip? Um, you know, maybe you should consider, you know, uh, a fallback position which is um, like, um, you know, uh, being an art teacher, you know, and all I could think of was, fuck you, you know? <laughs> yeah. And, and then, you know, over time you get, you get support. And I, I, uh, I corresponded with Ray Bradbury for a number of years and, Ray, uh, you know, was able to articulate that, that, you know, feeling in me, which was, um, if you try, uh, to do something that you really want to do and fail, you will be in a far better position than if you wanted to, you know, uh, do something, but you never did. Um, failure would be, you know, preferable over not trying. So when it came to the 70s and you were hired to work on Star Wars, was that the point when your dad was like, this is amazing, son, I can see that it was worth it? And wow, because no one ever expected, did they, in the 70s for George Lucas to have this absolute incredible masterpiece? Yeah, well, I think they were pretty surprised. I mean, you can tell people about this stuff. You know, and they, they just don't you really know. It's all anecdotal. And uh, both of my kids, uh, I have two daughters, you know, that, uh, you know, when I was working, I was gone a lot, like on vacation, location for sometimes months. And, um, and, and then, you know, I, I come home to do the post-production work and, you know, I would, you know, leave you know, immediately after breakfast or pack them off to school and might not be home until seven or eight or nine or 10, depending upon what I was doing. And so they knew I was working on, you know, RoboCop or Jurassic Park or whatever, but it was all, you know, anecdotal. I, I didn't talk about what I did during the day because talking about stop motion is, there's nothing to talk about. It's really boring, you know. Um, you know, what did you do today? Well, I made a dinosaur walk. You know, <laughs> and, um, 
But it wasn't until uh, Alex uh, Ponset and, and Jill Pinto uh, started writing this, you know, Mad Dreams and Monsters book um, uh, that um, Alexander came over and we were, you know, uh, going through the galleys and, uh, you know, talking to the art director of the book about layout and format and, uh, and so we brought the, the, the you know, galleys that just had, you know, the, the text and a little bit of, of the um, uh, pictures in it. And my daughter happened to be home. And now she's like in her 30s. And she was going, oh, my God, I had no idea. You did all this. <laughs> it's amazing. And... Uh, yeah, so she was actually really, really thrilled. And it's like, you know, I'm, I'm really glad that they did that as a, as a document, particularly for my kids and, you know, grandkids or whoever exists in the future. I'm getting to work with Steven Spielberg on, you know, one of the most incredible, I think, one of the best films ever made, uh, just especially for the family. It's like a perfect film, Jurassic Park, the original that must have been such a great experience for you because then obviously it led to the introduction for your company and yourself of going down the route of computer generated instead of stop motion. But I still show that film to people now and it still looks like it was filmed yesterday. And it's such a credit to the design and the work that you did for that because it does still look flawless, doesn't it today? Well, that and Starship Troopers, you know, and they were, uh, strangely enough, you know, it was very early in the computer graphic age. And then, like, after that, boy, the work just started to look like crap for a number of years. And, you know, the projects just weren't that interesting. So, you know, we were really lucky to, to be involved with those, those two. And then, you know, I, I, I really... After after Troopers, I I really can't you know none of the other projects were really that fun. So do you look back at those as you like your finest kind of run of films? Working on Star Wars, obviously, then getting an Oscar. Working on for me, Robocop. I still look at that scene now, and I still there's many scenes in that film that I know they look dated because of obviously times moved on. But I love the feel of it. I love practical effects. I love stop motion. I think. <laughs> You know, to look back at it, it still looks great. And you must be so proud of working with the brains and the, the I think, the, the skill of everything behind Paul Verhoeven in the absolute masterpiece for me, Robocop. Well, I never looked on it with pride, particularly. I mean, I was just very happy to be doing, doing it. And, um, you know, Paul was very much a, a mentor for me and watching his process, as opposed to, say, George and Stephen, who were much more commercial artists. And, yeah, of course, Paul had to, you know, have that commercial side, but he operated more like um, an artist does than a, uh, you know, somebody that's trying to reach a wide audience. I mean, he'd like to reach a wide audience, but if they're... Um, that's not calculated into his his process. Um, you know, George and Stephen want to hit the the um, you know high watermark in terms of box office, and you know, of course, yeah, Paul would like to too, 
that's not his main reason yeah. for doing it. And uh, he, you know, is disappointed when the films don't make money. But, you know, when asked, um, who, who do you make your, your uh, movies for? He says, I make them for myself. And, um, and that's a very different way of looking at things. That's, you know, far more artistic. That's, you know, pursuing a vision that um, may or may not include success. And Paul totally accepts that. So when you went into making Mad God, which obviously we can focus on now, this film is 30 years in the making. And, you know, there's a lot of setbacks. There's a lot of hurdles to go over. What was it that kept you so kind of resilient and so determined to get this over the line? Because that's a long time, a lot of effort, a lot of, I'm sure, stressful times, but it's finally here. People can go and see it now. It must be so rewarding to now actually see that it's out there. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't know if anybody would ever like it at all. And um, I got really depressed with the first two film festivals that um, you know, I, I entered in. And one was Berlin, and I forget the other one. And uh, got they both got and they got rejected, you know, both. And those were the first two film festivals that I applied to. And that made me really depressed until uh, it had its, Mad God had its premiere uh, at Locarno in, in Switzerland. And it just took off, you know. The, audi- the audience was really bewildered. I could tell. <laughs> they didn't know quite what to think. But it got so much word of mouth at that film festival that they booked, you know, about, you know, three or four other um, screenings. And then it just took off from there. And uh, and now it's about to open in Japan. And, um, yeah, so, you know, I could, I could not be happier for an indie film that, does, that doesn't have a traditional narrative. But, you know, uh, part of my process is, you know, if you build a better mousetrap, the world will be the path to your door. And if you can do something that's crafted well, that's unusual. You know, um, it's like Paul. I mean, I, I'm, I made that movie for myself. And, uh, you know, I would have been you know, disappointed if, you know, everybody hated it. But, you know, I, that's something I had to, you know, um, live with. So what's next for you? Surely it can't be another 30 years until we see something from you that's been directed because I'll be too old and, you know, I don't know what the world's going to be like in 30 years. So what, what's your kind of mind at now? Is there projects that are in the mix for you to get involved in or do you want a bit of a time out after doing Mad God? No, I keep busy all the time. I'm like a shark, you know, I just have to keep swimming to keep, breathing and you know so I, I i just work every day i mean after mad god i took a, a big break well then during covid i i had uh been working on a, on a script for the, the next stop motion thing that i wanted to do and uh did all the storyboards and sculpted all the characters and 
composite them into like uh, key art, and um, and that project is called Pequins Pendquin, P-E-Q-U-I-N-S, P-E-N-D-I-Q-U-I-N. And Pequin is the main character in the, the uh, um, um, Pendequin is, is Pequin's uh, objective. And um, so I'll be, you know, Shutter and AMC are interested in, you know, seeing what I've got. And I'll, I'll uh, you know, hopefully, you know, be able to make that. Um, you know, I, I'm going to... Um, I guess, you know, show them what I've got, like, in the first quarter of next year. And then uh, when Mad God completed, uh, and after that, you know, I sculpted all these characters, I kind of lost interest in making things, you know, with my hands anymore. And, you know, I just uh, took up writing. Or I, I started writing, like, well, over 20 years ago. Like, everything I do is really, you know, low and it takes me forever to develop something but i've got all the time in the world you know to do that so i've got you know over 15 kind of sci-fi horror you know script ideas that um that uh that there seems to be interest in thinking about now you know these are you know, I'm not really a, a writer writer. You know, this is just something that I kind of took up, but just like everything else. You know, I just kind of did it my way without being educated, which I think, you know, is um, puts you in a position for doing something that's more unique. Will people like it? I don't know. Um, but, um, you know, I, I've, I'm, I'm pretty confident, you know, that... Um, you know, based on my past that, you know, I, I, you know, can't think of when I've been rejected, really. So, uh, you know, I've got a lot of confidence in, in that. And do you love the fact that right now, Gilmel Del Toro is promoting your work? He's got Pinocchio coming out. He's a big advocate for still using stop motion and putting all that time in and effort. And I feel like the world still wants it in the world it's not all about having everything done by computers anymore and people still love that feel of stuff like Coraline and these classic films yeah no it's the stop motion has had a huge resurgence and you invite uh Guillermo invited me down and we're we're quite good friends and uh for a screening of Pinocchio which I thought was exceptional and did a Q&A with him. And then we went out to dinner and we spent like three hours just blabbing about you know, philosophy and movies and whatnot. You know, it's like we're really kind of hatched from the same egg. Yeah, he's a, he's a genius. I uh, I want him on the podcast one day. I've met him at an award ceremony and he's his mind is like going at 100 miles per hour. And I think he's I think he's genuinely a genius. Yeah. Definitely. Well, you know, a lot of so-called geniuses, you know, begin their careers when they're children. You know, funny how that works. 
So true. And Phil, my last question today for you is what I do on the podcast is to try and make it quite original. And we're nearly at 250 episodes now is I ask the guest that comes on the podcast on the spot to pick the final piece of music that's played after today's interview. So after all this is edited and the world can listen to us talk, the final piece of music that plays out is chosen by you. So is there a song or a piece of music that you love personally that means hell of a lot to you that you'd like to close today's episode with? Uh, yeah. Why don't you use Hector Berlioz Requiem, um, which is what I used for uh, like the main title in Mad God. Nice. Is there a reason you chose that to be in Mad God? Is there something about this piece of music that you adore or there's a bit of history behind it? Or is it just because you love it? Well, it just fit. Yeah. You know, the 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 beginning. And it had like gravitas to it. And you know, it was a you know, a requiem and it was grand and you know, the the beginning I mean I just stole things from every artist I could think of. And I kinda channeled Kubrick. Uh and it was like what what would what would Kubrick do? And although completely different, but um, I, I think I was thinking about the beginning of 2001 with his, you know, uh, Ricard Strauss, the uh, spoke Zarathustra, and how that score, which was a brilliant idea, uh, worked into the main title. And so I wanted to do, you know, something like that, you know, but, um, yeah, that's why it's the way it is. And that, that music is exactly the same thing that Kubrick did, was he found a piece of music that was very compelling that, you know, um, that alerted you to what the, you know, the, the potential for spectacle might be. That's amazing. I really appreciate your time today. Um, obviously, I think we've just hit our time, but I just wanted to say thanks so much for coming on the podcast. And I can't wait for people to start seeing this film and getting involved and seeing the response from this episode because I want more people to see it, more people to fall in love again with stop motion and just, yeah, keep doing what you do because you're an absolute genius. And uh, I really appreciate your time. Oh, well, thank you so much. So there it is. There's my interview with me and the absolute legend, Phil Tippett. What an amazing guy so creative and just an absolute genius and I don't use that word a lot but it's definitely justified when it comes to Phil. I want to say a massive thank you for Phil for coming on the podcast and it's an absolute pleasure to have you on. You heard us discussing on there his most recent feature which has been 30 years in the making, Mad God and thanks to Shudder this is going to be available on Blu-ray to buy from next week, yes the 5th of December. So go and treat yourself, go and watch this, it's amazing and you'll absolutely love it. If you've really enjoyed today's episode of Mark and Me, what I ask, it will always be free. I will never go out there and start charging for the podcast. But if you've really enjoyed it, why not just go on Twitter and retweet the episode? It costs you nothing. Also on Facebook, you can share it. And on Instagram, you can even like it. Or if you really like it, then stick it as part of your stories. It really helps Mark and Me go a long way. 
Some people don't realise I'm a one-man team, so I don't have budget to go and ask people to go and do marketing for me. It's all down to myself. But word of mouth is always the best way to get the podcast name out there. So if you've enjoyed today's episode, all I ask in return is the click of a couple of buttons. That's all it is. I also do have a Patreon account. And if you're not sure what Patreon is, it's basically like giving me a tip every month. Maybe £2 or £3 to say thank you for the continuous episodes that I give you for free. With this money, it allows me to travel the country, host the podcast and record more and more interviews for you guys at home. Put it on stuff like Spotify, Amazon Music. All these different sites cost money. But with the support that I get via Patreon, it allows me to continue doing Mark and Me. And the links for Patreon and all the social media channels that I've talked about today are on markandme.com. I'll be back in only a few days' time with a brand new episode. So until then, look after yourself, watch Mad God, take care, and I'll speak to you all very soon. Mm-hmm.